Welcome to the Rooftop Leadership Podcast. Today our episode is entitled, Compared to What? The Delusion of Shadow Tribalism in an Age of Division. I chose this title because I just finished reading the book, The Madness of Crowds by Douglas Murray. And I tell you, I found it to be an extremely well done book. Uh, Very thoughtful, very thought provoking. Um, I think it challenges a lot of myths. It challenges a lot of realities. And, um, you know, one of the things, so if you, if, if, if you look around today and, and you, and you, and you see what appears to be madness in the way that so many people are behaving around group dynamics and literally tribalism toward one another, uh, I, I urge you to read this book. I think it, it really is well done. And one of the things that Murray talks about in that book is he, um, he, he talks about how um, a lot of times you hear people talking about what a violent country America is, what a, um, an imposing country America is, what a hateful country America is, and, and what a ra- racist country America is. And one of the things that Murray counters with is and, and says that um, if you disagree with that statement, which, by the way, I do, Um, is that the question that we should ask is compared to what? Particularly if we are advocating burning it down, if we are advocating a complete um, revision of the Constitution or, you know, the the rule of law, and we're going to rebuild something else, what are we going to build it against? What compared to what? What is it that we are looking at that we will now model what this country should be? Now, Listen, don't get me wrong, and, I, and I've been on record for saying this multiple times. There is a lot of work to do in this country, certainly around issues of race, ethnicity, religion, social justice, um, a, a whole host of issues that we have a lot of work to do. But I personally believe as a combat veteran, a former soldier in the United States Army, I believe that the best path to do that work is not to burn everything to the ground and treat history as our enemy, but rather to come together and say, what can we learn from history? What can we learn from each other? And how can we really get down to the serious business of inclusion and equity and connecting in a way that makes sense for this country and that is right for everyone and where no person feels uh, or is treated as if they are less than? Um, and, and I believe in that. I fought for that. My, I have brothers and sisters who died for that. And my son serves right now. And, and so I, I take that very, very seriously. Um, and, and so I believe that this in-group, out-group approach where groups are literally um, targeting the identity of other groups uh, in the advancement of, of, of uh status and resources, I believe it is, it is, it is delusional. And I and I and I, I tell you when when you think about what it leads to, it is worthy of a conversation, and it's something that I'm not going to be quiet about because, uh, as a combat veteran, I earned the right to talk about what I saw in these uh, places where we fought, and and again, I I say compared to what, right? If if we're going to rage against this country to the point of contempt for one another. And we're going to we're going to use that as the rocket fuel by which how we navigate the world and how we navigate our society and how we um, approach the issues is we're going to demonstrate contempt for each other. We're going to we're going to cancel each other's identity and we're going to call into question uh, one's identity in order to advance something else. 
what are we comparing it to? What is it that we are uh, looking toward? And, and, and I will say I have heard almost these longing um, comparisons, uh, these comparisons of utopia to tribal society as something that we could we could move towards. And and I will tell you, uh, I've been in plenty of tribal societies, and I think that what that is actually is delusional. I, I you know, I, there are lots of folks, and, and I'm one of them, who advocate for many aspects of tribal society in the modern world. I mean, tribal society, like any other society, has its its good side, its bad side. On the good side, it has hospitality and, and honor. And on the bad side, it has violence and feud and shame, public shaming. And, you know, just like any other society, you kind of, to get the good, you have to have the bad. And what I worry about today in our society is we've become so disconnected from from our ancestors and, and our and our whole past, our whole tribal past, that now it's it's almost like it's having its revenge on us with this shadow form of tribalism. And let me just explain what I mean by that, because if we're going to, if we're going to tear everything down and we're going to pursue group dynamics to advance, you know, how we establish ourselves as a society, then we damn sure better do some thinking about what that looks like. Now, again, lots of people have, have, have cited the merits of a tribal society for something we could look at as a model. You know, Younger, Sebastian Younger in his book, Tribes, he really evokes the, the, the aspects of tribe community and a sense of relations. And, and I agree with him. I've had him on my podcast and I think he's right on a lot of that. But even Younger, you know, in his book, you know, talks about that, um, that tribal society um, is not exactly what we think it is, you know, that, that there are actually a lot of problems with tribal society as well and that it would be a mistake to think that tribal society is the, you know, is the end all be all, right? Because, because it's not, right? I mean, there, the, the fact is that, that, that there are lots of issues with tribal society. Um, the madness of crowds, you know, he talks about, um, some things that we need to think about, uh, in terms of tribalism and, Pressfield even talks about this in his book, The Warrior Ethos. He mentions the shadow tribes that groups like ISIS and Al-Qaeda use. They kind of bastardize these concepts of honor and they use them for nefarious means. Um, but, but I take that, you know, I take tribalism even a step further in the modern world. I think this shadow tribalism is, is what happens is it's all of the aspects of tribal society that are the darker side of it. So you have the in-groups, the out-groups, you have scarcity, you have sh public shaming and, and, and bastardized honor, vengeance and feud, right? That's, that's what, to me, is so pervasive in our country today. And in, and, and in fact, Murray, he cites uh, in his book, you know, um, the myth of the peaceful savage, uh, a work that talks about how um, the violent deaths of, of tribal societies uh, with males, the percentage is between 10 to 60 percent. <laughs> and, and, you know, Murray says, you know, by contrast, the percentage of males killed in violent conflict in the U.S. and Europe in the 20th century is a single digit blip. Right. So if we're going to be straight with each other and we're going to talk about burning one thing down to create another, like, let's be clear, 10 to 60 percent of male deaths end violently. 
versus a single-digit blip in the United States, right? So we need to be very careful about what it is that we compare to. And before we get in such a hurry to burn everything down and go into a, a feudal mindset, we need to be really, really cognizant of what that means and what that looks like. You know, and here's what here's what Murray says, and, and he uses, uses the word generosity. He says, to incline towards generosity, you have to have a baseline presumption that your generosity will not be abused. And the best, if not the only way to work that out is by personal interaction. Without it, life will increasingly resemble a catalog of easily searchable and eminently revivable historic grudges. This is that treating history as the enemy piece. And so an inclination towards generosity, not just among allies, but towards ostensible opponents, may be one of the first steps out of the madness. And I do believe we are in madness right now. I believe that a whole lot of individuals have allowed fear-based behavior and scarcity and status to take them to the secondary emotion of anger. And that anger has taken them into a trance-like primal state where you see feud. And it's along both sides, Republican, Democrat, conservative, liberal, um, Every group on that is imaginable is is demonstrating contempt for their neighbor, uh, and if you speak out about it, you are you are labeled as you know as 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 one thing, and and then shut down, right? And that's that's madness. That is not what a liberal democracy is based upon. And and so what Murray just described here, this generosity, where you know an inclination towards generosity, not just among allies but towards ostensible opponents may be one of the first steps out of the madness. When's the last time you saw that? If you've seen my video on bridging trust or go back into the podcast episodes and listen to the one on trust. And, you know, this is what bridging trust is. It's the ability to bridge beyond one's in-group to create connections that are bigger than just your group. Right, that is what really defines uh, a liberal democracy. It's what it's what de Tocqueville talked about when he was in the United States in the early 1800s, and he talked about individualism rightly understood. You know, with a, with a foot in in the world of individualism and a foot in the world of our past, of our sense of community and connection, and and that was a very unique thing, and and it still is. Now, granted, there was a sure as hell a lot of work to be done then. You know, slavery was still in place. Women didn't have rights to vote. But it is something we can move towards, individualism rightly understood, right? And, and, and with, a, with, a, with, a, with an element of bridging trust, with a drive to bridge beyond one's in-group. And my hope is that there are a significant number of citizens of all colors, of all ethnicities, religions, and socioeconomic statuses, and political parties to shake off this trance-like state, to shake off this, this polarization that is going on here, um, and, and this this contempt that we're demonstrating for our neighbors that's normally reserved for one's enemies, according to Younger, Younger and, and join me on the rooftop. Join a, a growing l- number of leaders from Democrat side, from Republican side, who look at this and go, this is madness. Like, this is madness. We are not going to, no human has the right to cancel another human being, right? And if that was done in the past, that's wrong. But, but but starting that as a matter of course now and fueling it with in-group, out-group dynamics that are basically straight up shadow tribalism, feud, and divisionism, it is going to take us down a path that I've seen before. And a lot of my brothers and sisters in the military have seen before. It doesn't end well. 
And, and for any of you who are considering leading beyond this madness of shadow tribalism, or you're wondering like, compared to what? I mean, what are we tearing this down and building it up compared to what? I would like to give you and offer some examples and some thoughts to ponder about um, what our society and our children's society might or might not look like. First of all, I would say it's hard for abundance and scarcity to coexist without well-equipped leaders. And, and what I mean by that is as humans, we are actually wired for scarcity, just like every other mammal on the planet. You know, if, if someone loses their job or the pandemic hits and their 401k erodes, we go primal. We go into that scarcity mindset. Am I going to have enough? Can I feed my family? Right? So we're driven by that at a biological level. But in our society, in this country, and I'm talking about America right now, we have, over the last 100 plus years, created a first world society of abundance. And everyone that is raging against it right now certainly doesn't seem to have a problem embracing the level of abundance that's here, right? And if and, and again, if you say, okay, well, there's not abundance here, there's not equal distribution of it. Well, I'm not advocating equal distribution. Like I'm advocating a free society where folks have a, a, a an equal run at it. And granted, there's work to be done there. But I think you would be hard pressed to say that America is not a country of abundance, because it is. Um, and, and it's very difficult to maintain any sense of abundance if leaders are not in place to manage that. And that's leaders at all levels, leaders from all communities, leaders from all walks of life, working together and serving as stewards for providing abundance in a society. Because the alternative, and if you want to get you know, if you want to get deep on this with me, I'm happy to do it. But the alternative to abundance is scarcity. Okay, let's just be, let's be clear. Okay, the alternative to abundance is scarcity. And scarcity is mostly present when you have in-groups and out-groups fighting for their piece of the pie. And there is no leadership above that to manage that activity, to manage that energy, and, and to impose rule of law, right? And the principles by which abundance can thrive. And so that through civil discourse and engagement, we can find ways to make that abundance more accessible to everyone. But the, but the alternative is if we just engage in group dynamics, that abundance will completely erode and we will all be facing scarcity. It's hard for it to coexist without responsible leadership and stewardship. Number two, bridging trust and bonding trust have to be rightly managed. In other words, you know, the, there's two forms of trust that I use. Bonding trust is the oldest form of trust in the world. It's where you, you have trust for your in-group, your, your cousins, your mother, your brothers, your sisters. And that's who you trust. And that's it. It's your little circle. And that's the oldest form of trust in the world. The entire animal kingdom uses bonding trust, at least mammals. Bridging trust is this very new, unique ability in terms of social capital to bridge beyond one's in-group. It is that individual right individualism rightly understood that de Tocqueville talked about, right? That ability and that Robert Putnam talks about in his book, Bowling Alone and the Upswing. And, and it's the ability to bridge and, and connect different circles. And, and for a long time, it has defined this country. Granted, it's had its problems. It has not been as effective as it could be. But bridging trust is very rare. You don't find it a lot in the world. It's mostly bonding trust. And, it's, and, it, and bonding trust is chaos, 
if it's the only form of trust. It's the reason that you see countries like Afghanistan are not able to get beyond a tribalistic society for the most part because bonding trust, the group dynamic, dominates everything. You don't have a vision or a sense of, of, of national pride or national story that unites the country. And by the way, let's talk about that for a second. You know, there's all of this, you know, now if you're, you know, a nationalist is how you are labeled. If you have any pride or belief in the, in the American merit, uh, narrative or myth, if you have any belief in the Constitution, you're immediately labeled a nationalist in a way that, 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 that is equated like with a fascist. And then your then your skin color is affixed to the front of it if it's appropriate, you know. And and I will tell you that is diabolical, man. That is nothing more than group dynamics at play. That is shadow tribalism at play, right? And 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 the fact of the matter is, bonding trust societies they don't fare well. They just don't. It's in those rare exceptions where bridging trust exists, whether that's in a company, a corporation, a nonprofit, a community, uh, or a nation where people bridge beyond their in-group. The individual is held in higher regard than the group. And, and, and in terms of social evolution, I can think of nothing that we should strive for more than that. Why would any of us want a society where the groups are literally vying for status and resources? It, it just it, it is going to end so badly. And when you, we are willingly right now dispelling the the the, the myths and narratives of this nation. And if if the myths and narratives of this nation are are not valued or are not regarded by different segments of the population, then let's have that conversation. Let's find a way so that we can stand shoulder to shoulder around an American narrative, so that we can stand shoulder to shoulder around the, you know, the myth of liberal democracy in such a way that it unifies and mobilizes people to something bigger than themselves. You know, I mean, if we want to uh, undo the past, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fool's errand. It is indeed madness, you know, and, and it, a country, and I'm going to have John Bell on here pretty soon, and he's from the Conciliators Guild, and one of the things that he talks about is a country without a national narrative or a national myth is doomed, and right now, that's where we're headed. So, you know, going back to number two, bridging trust and bonding trust must be rightly managed. We, you know, having, you know, obviously connection to our race, connection to our um Identity at various levels is important, but so is our identity as Americans. And the only way that we can develop that and maintain that is to bridge beyond our in-group. And we need leaders that that believe that. We need leaders that see that and, and believe that and are stewards for that. Number three, left to their own devices, humans will revert to the lowest level of training. And right now, there are very few humans trained in human nature and human dynamics. And the ones that are, in my opinion, are using it to divide us. They are divisionists. They're the ones fueling activity with contempt for one's neighbor because they understand how in-group, out-group behavior works. They understand how fear can dominate one's thinking, how polarization of politics can get people to give up their agency and step back and let, you know, narrow-minded agendas take hold. 
And, and so left to their own device. And, and most of the folks out there have not been exposed to human dynamics or human terrain. And I think it's important that we start to do that. That's one of the things that this podcast aims to do is to just talk about real leadership issues, to talk about the science of human nature, to talk about the science of human connection, to talk about, honestly, things that we've seen in other rough places that are canaries in the coal mine of what could be here. You know, my, my job actually on this podcast is not to advance political issues. In fact, you'll be very hard pressed to find where I stand on issues. And if you start making assumptions on that and assertions on that, then th- to me, that is the epitome of in-group, out-group behavior. That is the epitome, in some cases, of racism, right? What we do on this podcast is we hold space for, po- for discourse to happen, for the ideas and exchange of ideas to happen, and to allow you to maybe shake off that trance-like state and, and focus on what's being said and really look at your life. Look at the agency in your arena. Are you really demonstrating the agency that you want to demonstrate? Or are you now giving it away to other nefarious actors, to divisionists, divisionists who would you know advance a narrow agenda and damn the cost on other groups, right? So, so this podcast and Rooftop Leadership really is about training. It's about empowerment. It's about empowering you as a leader in your family, your community, in your life, in your job, to look at the human terrain for what it is and to not assign political value to it until you fully understand our nature. Then, if you want to assign political value to it, so be it. Number four, scarcity and status take over when fear and anger are present. Fear is a primary emotion, and it always gives way to anger, which gives way to vengeance and contempt, and which can lead to violence, revenge, feud. And this whole trance-like, you go into a trance-like state, you go primal. You know, look at animals when they are fighting for food or a mate, right? There's not enough to go around, and status is everything. And so the body takes on, you know, emotions are calling the body to take action. And so in anger, it's the fight. That's pure and simple. And so when that happens, you know, like Ivan Terrell says in the book, The Human Givens, anger makes us stupid. <laughs> it reduces the aperture in how we see the world and our, and, our, and our ability for finer perception skills and higher intelligence just goes away. And we surrender our power and because and, and we've gone into a survival mode, so it's impossible to thrive, right? So, you know, when we allow these divisionist leaders to take us down this road, or if you allow yourself to embark on in-groups and you start, and, and listen, here's a, here's, a, here's a little cue that I would ask you to think about. And everybody else out there on the politically correct side is going to tell you um, to not do this. I'm telling you to consider it. If you speak with contempt or moral superiority over other human beings, you should really step back and think about what I'm saying here. Now, seriously. Now, if, if it's about the ideas or the beliefs, that's one thing. But if you are those effing guys, they need to be shut down. Put in, you know, like if that's how you're, you know, speaking in, 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 in contemptuous filled whispers about those people. Right. Or if you're going right to the identity with moral superiority or contempt, 
you need to seriously check yourself because you are in a trance-like state. And if that pisses you off, so be it. Because no one else is probably going to tell you this. You're going to be played over and over again as you incrementally give your agency away. You're giving your agency away. You're giving your freedom away when you play it that way. Scarcity and status take over every time. It's semi-conscious. It's primal. Fear and anger will dominate you. They will make all of us stupid. And feud is the only way out. Violence is the only outcome. Number five, in and out group behavior um, will lead to a form of shadow tribalism. Make no mistake. You can dress this thing up any way you want. You can find justified vengeance for anything. You can attack history. But at the end of the day, if the modus operandi of this society that we live in is in groups competing against out groups for resources and uh, status, this thing will end in shadow tribalism, right? And what that ends in is number six is feud prevails. Rule of law gives way to rule of the clan. You will see contempt as a matter of course. Social capital will erode to only the circles of people who look like you and believe like you. Voices will be squashed. Your ability to do business, your ability to build movements and networks based on ideas bigger than self will be highly jeopardized. So here, let's talk about what you can do. First of all, you can control your state. Start working on your emotional temperature. Do lower body breaths a lot. Expand your belly on the inhale, squeeze belly to spine, or let go on the exhale. Learn to metabolize the energy. If you feel yourself getting worked up, go for a walk, go for a run, do 10 burpees. But I will tell you, movement and meaning are inextricably linked. So, you know, stasis is for amateurs in this day and age. Move around. Don't just sit there and, and if you find something that triggers you, stay off of it. Social media and media, I was talking to a friend of mine today. He's like, every time I go on Facebook, I get pissed off. Well, don't go on Facebook, right? Don't do the things that trigger you. And also, number five, avo- number six, avoid assigning meaning to politics. Humans are meaning-seeking creatures. And if we assign meaning to politics, you are setting yourself up for disappointment and failure. I, either side of the party. If you assign meaning to politics, you're giving away agency in your life, Right? And finally, look for ways to bridge beyond your own comfort zone in your arena. So let's talk for just a second about what you can do. Because I think that's important. You know, when we think about um, the world that we live in and what we're trying to build for our kids and how we deal with the different behaviors that are out there, I, I do think it's important to talk about what we can do at an individual level. And, you know, I've talked about this stuff before. But I don't think we can overstate it. I really don't. I think that it's an, it's incumbent on each of us to to lead at a local level. And that's something I learned in Special Forces, that if you want strategic outcomes, leadership starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with how we lead ourselves. You know, Professor James Clawson says that leadership is the management of energy. And humans are mostly energy, right? And so that energy, it's, it's, it's your own and those around you. So... I've talked about some things to consider kind of in the compared to what category. So when you think about this society that we live in and what we're going to tear down and what we're going to keep, um, I think these hold true for all of us. And some things that the, the, the big thing is work to control your emotional state, you know, work to control your own state. And uh, that's not an easy thing to do. 
right? It's not an easy thing to do because our emotional temperature can, can take us through the roof, particularly with the levels of fear and anger that are out there. But, you know, exercising agency in your own arena is the, the ultimate form of freedom. It's what every human has, and, and, but we give it away. We give away our agency. We give away our power in our own arena. And I just think that is that is so dangerous. So work on controlling your state. Each of us can do that. Our, you know, going from a sympathetic state of fight, flight, or freeze to a parasympathetic state of calm and connect. That starts with emotional temperature. You know, what is your emotional temperature? If you're in the red, what takes you in the red? One of the quickest ways to regulate your state, your emotional temperature, is through breath. Just diaphragmatic breathing. Just a good belly breath, expanding on the inhale, and just let go on the exhale. Three to five of those, and it's very easy for you to bring your emotional temperature down. And here's the thing. Because we're social creatures who mirror each other, if you bring your emotional temperature down, then by definition, a lot of the people around you, their emotional temperature will come down, and that just helps manage the room, right? Metabolizing your energy through the day, if you find yourself just you know, uh, amped up all the time. I was talking to a C-suite executive the other day and a small business owner the other day. Both of them stay in these elevated states. It's not healthy. You know, it's the devil's cocktail. So metabolize that energy, right? And a good way to do that is through movement. Movement and meaning are inextricably linked according to the human givens. Like if you want to find meaning in what you're doing, or you feel like you're getting jammed up and you're in the red and that, that, soda straw size aperture has you know has reduced and all you see is red meaning can be found through movement go for a walk go do a workout go for a walk with your spouse go for a swim get on a bike um, you know, any kind of do 10 burpees, 20 push-ups, whatever it is, um, that can really help metabolize the energy and you'll find meaning in the in the in in, in those moments as well. Speaking of meaning, another thing that I would suggest as we think about the society we want to live in is I think we have to stop associating politics with meaning. And Doug Murray talks about this in The Madness of Crowds, and I see it other places too. It's like, you know, it's it's fine to be interested in politics, but when we start giving meaning to politics where like everything in our day is defined by one group that wins and one group that loses, whoo! That's not a good place to be. I mean, first of all, let me just ask you a question. When's the last time a politician actually made your life better? And I'm talking about your day-to-day. When you get up and you're with your wife and your kids or your spouse and your kids and you go to the park. Like, when has a politician made your immediate arena better? Be honest. You know, because for the most part, they don't. For the most part, they're amateurs. They're mouth breathers. For the most part, they're interested in a narrow agenda and they are divisionists. And we are giving our agency, our power away to them to allow, we're assigning meaning to them. It's not even to politics. It's to the, it's to the people who represent a certain group or party. And that is so dangerous. That is one step away from societal collapse and violence. The next thing I would suggest is remove the triggers from your life. You know, the social media, um, the media. I was talking to a friend of mine today. He's like, every time I go on Facebook, I get so pissed. And I said, well, don't go on Facebook. You know, seriously, because that whole game is rigged. If you haven't watched The Social Dilemma, please watch it. And understand that everything is, is monetized for your attention. And you're being played. I'm being played. And so those things that trigger you in the 24-hour news cycle and social media, I say cut them out. Just cut them out altogether because they do not 
make you more informed. They do not make you more relevant. What they do is put you into a digital killing field where shadow tribalism will take you into a, a sympathetic state and you will go into that trance-like behavior and your life is affected by that. Your energy is drained. Your health is affected. Your relationships are damaged. So removing those triggers altogether, I think, is super important. And finally, the thing I would say and I would ask each of us as rooftop leaders is let's focus on bridging outside of our own comfort zone. You know, seriously, there's enough. It's easy to stay inside your group. It's easy to stay inside your in-group. But leaders who can bridge beyond their own comfort zone are the ones that are going to be the most relevant. And again, I'm going to go back to what Murray said. To incline genero towards generosity, you have to have a baseline presumption that your generosity will not be abused. And the best, if not the only way to work that out is by personal interaction. Without it, life will increasingly resemble a catalog of easily searchable and eminently revivable historical grudges. This is that shadow tribalism. So an inclination towards generosity, not just among allies, but towards ostensible opponents. That's that bridging trust I'm talking about. Maybe one of the first steps out of the madness. I'll leave you with this. I believe that um, the book, The Culture Code, is one of the finest books out there. And, and I really, I really suggest that you take a look at it. It's just, it's a fantastic book. And in that book, the author says that there's three things that high-performing cultures uh, need. They need psychological safety. They need to be connected to each other. And they, there needs to be a shared future. And as leaders, what if we asked ourselves that question all the time, Right beyond our in-group? Do the people beyond my in-group feel safe? Do the people beyond my in-group feel connected? And do the people beyond my in-group feel like we have a shared future together? Ladies and gentlemen, until we can answer that question in the affirmative, beyond our in-group, our country's in trouble. And we have two choices. We can, as I see it, we can, well, there's more than that, but there's two primaries. One is we can go down the road that so many other people are going down, this trance-like state of contemptuous behavior of divisionism, where in you, just, you just side up with your in-group and then you go against everybody else. That ends in shadow tribalism, feud, and violence. Or we can bridge. We can, we can take a rooftop leadership approach and we can bridge beyond our comfort zone, beyond our in-group, and we can ask ourselves, beyond our in-group, are we safe? Beyond this in-group that I'm in, is there a connection to the other groups, the other people? And beyond this in-group that I'm in, do we all feel like we have a shared future? And if we don't, we've got work to do. But it all goes back to that generosity that inclination towards generosity, not just among our allies, but toward ostensible opponents. And we have to have a baseline presumption that if we bridge, we will not be abused. And so if you are one of those ones speaking with contempt, even if it's in a whisper, you are one of the ones abusing. And that self-leadership has to take a different direction. Thanks for what you do. Remember that Fear is contagious, but so is leadership. And today we need leaders that lead from the rooftop. I'll see you there. Uh -huh.